Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you. We are taking your calls this morning. Call and ask your questions, 801-575-8255. And you can also text us your questions at 57500. Janice is on the line this morning from West Jordan. Good morning, Janice. What is your question? Yeah, I have got a lumpy lawn under a big cherry tree that's probably about 35 years old. And I was just wondering what I can do about that to flatten that lawn out. Well, is the lawn lumpy because of the roots from the tree? I don't see the roots. Only over on one side, there's one that kind of pops up. But throughout the rest of it, where it's really lumpy and has dropped, they don't show. Okay. And is it a condition to where the lawn isn't doing well because of the shade of the tree? Um, no, the lawn's doing fine. The The, the um, tree is on the east side of the backyard, and so as the sun travels across the lawn, it gets at least six hours or more of sun a day. Okay. I'm just trying to eliminate some of the common possibilities of what it could be. And uh-huh. one thing that often causes this is just a lack of sunlight. And so the lawn fades a little bit and the roots will raise the soil up. But I still think that there's probably roots under there raising the soil a bit. Now, when you say lumpy, do you have divots or is it more wavy? What pattern? It's more wavy. Like you can't walk across it without like it's uneven when your foot steps down. So I, I remember when I was a kid, my dad would uh, put, like a thin layer of soil across the lawn. Yes. So some, the blades could, you know, peak up, but you didn't smother it completely. And so I thought, well, maybe we should do something like that. If you I have a garden area that has that soil in there, you can get a wheelbarrow's worth and just get almost like a feed scoop and then just drizzle that in the low areas a quarter of an inch a month. And over a period of year or two, you can raise some of those areas up. Okay, so if I got some of that dirt bag soil, would that work? Probably. It has organic matter in it that would decompose, but it would also work. Okay. All right, yeah, that's what I was thinking, but I thought I'd better call and get your take on it, you know. Yeah, there's several. Depending on your area, I know that Biograss has the big yellow bag that you can do that with. There's three or four companies that will deliver those bags of soil. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, and should it just be the regular garden soil that I asked them for, or should it be no, uh, the one? Just regular what, garden what soil. You don't want it to decompose. And so if it's got a lot of organic matter and a lot of just like these additives that are going to break down, it doesn't do you any good. You know, it'll okay, la- so it, that organic matter will improve your soil. But if you're trying to raise the grade slowly, then your garden soil or just regular garden soil is all I would use. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And you, And it'll take like one to two years? Uh, it would because you're only doing it a quarter of an inch at a time. It can, be, like you said, yeah. you don't want to smother the grass out. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right well, we'll get we'll get started on Good it. Good luck. When the, <laughs> the ground unfreezes. Yeah. Right. Thanks <laughs> okay. for your call. All right. this Thank morning. you. You bet. Have a great day. Uh, I want to go back to the red twig dogwood uh, listener who had talked about uh, it, their plant not growing. Um, they say it does leaf out. It just is a very, it doesn't grow bigger. They wanted to create some winter interest in their yard and uh, they wanted to put some dogwoods or something like them and put them with pines. And so do you have any other recommendations other than the dogwoods if they're, because you said that's about, that's what that's what they do. That's about as big as they get. Yeah, it depends on the variety. And so dogwoods, there's four or five really common varieties and the shortest is called Kelsey. Mm-hmm. And it only gets about two feet tall and it's a real pretty plant, but it's just not tall. Then you move into Isanti that will get six feet. And then there's some variegated dogwoods like ivory halo that are five to six feet and a few others. And then the tallest one is the uh, Bailey's. And so I suspect that they either bought dogwoods that were mistagged and they've got Kelsey or Isanti or there could be something going on that's inhibiting them from growing. Mm -hmm. And so to eliminate the soil is a problem. I would really look at getting a soil test done from either USU or BYU. You can just look up USU soil lab and it'll bring up all the information. The same for BYU and getting, especially the salinity and the uh, pH of those soil tested. And so, but given the soil is an average Utah soil, uh, they could look at if they like the look of the dogwood, maybe the Bailey's dogwood or that blue Arctic willow. All right. Uh, next person says, let me scroll up here. Oh, they wanted to talk about the Regent Service Berry. They've had one for three years. They say it's growing very slowly and they want to know what factors they should look at to maybe improve the growth rate. If it's been in three years, it's probably established. So I would deep water it every week to 10 days just to even though it'll survive on less, you want if you're wanting it to grow, give it a little more water. And I would fertilize it with probably a quarter of a cup, you know, an eighth to a quarter of a cup of fertilizer underneath the entire canopy of the bush in mid-March and again sometime in mid-May. Uh, next person says, do you or asks, do you recommend companion planting? All I'm going to say first of all, describe exactly companion what planting about. is a theory that certain plants do better together. Okay. You know, I talked to a gentleman the other day that had planted onions all throughout his garden under the idea that it would keep a lot of pests out. What right now, you know, hard scientific evidence. No, there's not a lot of it out there saying, you know, your tomatoes do really well next to that celery. But 
people like to do it. It's not hurting anything. And there may be something to it. And, you know, and this is something that Sheridan would like to delve into a lot more because she likes these historical ways of gardening and just the earthy, maybe not mainstream things. And that's kind of what companion planting is. And so you're not harming anything doing it. And so I mean, if you want to go for it, is it keeping a lot of pests out of your yard or your garden? In some situations, yes, because it might be that you plant something next to your green beans that the spider mites like better or the aphids like better. And so you can plant some tramp crops. And so in that sense, companion planting can work. But when you go and buy an encyclopedia yeah, of companion planting, there's, you know, the hard science oftentimes isn't there, but most of the time you're doing no harm. So when my grandmother planted a row of marigolds in the middle of the vegetable garden, it wasn't just about how pretty it looked? No, it <laughs> that generation, that World War II generation before and after through the 30s through the 60s, 70s, even in the 80s, that generation of gardener put rows of peonies and rows of marigolds, rows of petunias in between the garden plants. And I initially, being a young and stupid kid, thought it was dumb. I was like, why don't you put a flower bed in the front yard? That was pretty, so there you and go. <laughs> so I just, I never understood cultivating a row of petunias. But what they were doing is attracting a lot of beneficial insects into the garden. They were breaking up how close the plants were together. And so if you had potatoes, peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, which are all closely related and had them separated by the marigolds and petunias, then the chances of those getting diseases and pests were far fewer than having them all crowded together. And so I don't know that they were intentionally doing that, but because they created biodiversity in their garden space with all sorts of different kinds of plants, annuals, flower, annual flowers, perennial flowers, vegetables, you know, it really did increase the number of beneficials and re greatly reduce the amount of pesticides that needed to be used because of that biodiversity. So also they didn't have the internet to, to go search out plant problems. Uh, they couldn't just run to their grocery store and buy what, whatever type of pesticide, herbicide, I mean, all no. those things. So they had to do the best with what they did have to come out with the best outcome. Yeah, they really did. And so that during that era, people usually had bigger yards than we do now. I was going to say, the space is an Population issue. Population density was a lot lower. And growing up, you know, my granddad always lived in the city, but he had a third of an acre yard where there was plenty of room to do everything he wanted to do. But right now, if you can even afford a home, it might be on as small as a tenth of an acre. And there's not a lot of room, but you can still use biodiversity by interspersing things. And it's just a different style of gardening. Right. And we've kind of changed the experience of our yards, too. We want it to be an experience. It's not just about growing food or flowers. It, we we want to be kind of – it's like a, an extra room in the house that we're creating. It is. You know, it, we'll repost this video in the spring, but when we went to Andrea Simondi's and she and her husband had created garden rooms so that no matter what kind time of day they went outside, there was always an area 
that they could go and sit that was in the shade. And so they had a morning area, an afternoon area, and an evening area. And most of them had some sort of water feature. And it was just all about the zen and the joy of being outside. But yet incorporating water-wise yes. plants, which was another big reason we went yeah, there. Yeah, they had installed drip everywhere. And I think she said that they had reduced their water use by 70%. At and the same just time, creating yard. these wonderful areas. Yes. Yep. You can see that video, though, on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. You can also find it on our YouTube channel, the KSL Greenhouse YouTube channel. We're going to take a break, come back with more of your questions. The phone lines are open, 801-575-8255. Text us at 57500. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning. Phone lines are getting busy. Let's go to Mick and Draper. Good morning, Mick. What is your what is your question? Hey, good morning. How are you guys? Doing well. How about yourself? Great, thanks. Hey, my grandparents grew like a beautiful rose garden, and they've both passed. Somebody else lives in the house now, and they've let the roses just go like completely wild. I'm just wondering, like, could I, like, sneak in there periodically and dig those up and take them to my house and get them to look, you know, Not nice legally. again? Yeah, three in the morning, the homeowners come out. I was like, hon, that giant rat was back. We're missing another rose. It dug a hole. Exactly. I don't see a problem here. So in theory, yes. But if they are years and years old, their root systems are going to be all over the place. So oh. you would need to get pretty big root balls on those roses to try to prevent them from dying from a lack of roots. So what you would okay. need to do is sometime in early to mid-March, cut them back down to knee height and three or four main canes and then get a shovel and go out probably a foot, you know, all the way around and dig a trench so that you have a two foot wide root ball that's at least a foot to 18 inches deep. And you're going to need a couple of people to lift these out. And then you're going to want some strong, like uh, construction grade plastic or burlap to wrap those balls in and tie them off so that you don't lose a lot of the soil and then bring them to their new home and let them regrow. Yeah, that's that's a lot of work. They may notice me doing this. So the other thing you might be able to do is take cuttings from the roses and just root them. It is a couple of year process to get them big enough to plant outside, but there's a lot of YouTube videos on how to root roses. And so you might maintain better relationships with the current homeowners if you were to go in and just start, say you took 10 cuttings of each and rooted them, you know, it's bound to have two or three survive of each. And then genetically you have the exact same rose that your grandparents had, but you also haven't turned their yard into a cratered 
<laughs> you know, warfield type thing. That's like the warfield. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate I, it. I'm hopeful then that we can figure something out because I would love to see these things growing again. I, I feel your pain. I look at my mom's yard <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's overgrown. I mean, she used to be out there every second. Our lives just aren't quite like that. We're quite busy. So yeah, things get overgrown really quickly. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Thanks, I love the show. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, Ton Nexister wants to know, what do you do if you have fungus in your lawn? How do you get rid of it? The fungus in your lawn, it depends on which one it is because it could be any one of 10 or 15 different diseases. Mm -hmm. So in mid-May, when the lawn's actively growing, take samples of the problem area and mail them up to the USU Pest Lab and let them take a look and diagnose what it might be so that you can get a very detailed plan to get rid of the fungus. All right. Wendy is on the line from West Jordan. Good morning, Wendy. What is your question? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I have been in my house for over 25 years, and I've got landscaping that has come and gone, and it's mostly gone now. Welcome to my world. So I go out and buy all these little fun plants, and then I either plant them or not plant them and plant them in the wrong place. And you mentioned that you had a landscape architect, and I am in dire need of help. Well, the level of help that you're seeking could be anywhere from someone just to walk into your yard and do some sketches to full-blown engineering and landscape plans and the cost can be from a few hundred dollars to several thousand dollars maria has learned yeah well and i had to have hardscape so our deck is totally disintegrated and we had big groves of trees so i really needed that kind of help and ton did uh recommend PKJ Design Group and Sandy Vernon has helped me. But it really depends exactly what Ton was saying, exactly the extent of what you need, um, because there are a lot of companies. I didn't want to just pick like a decking company that would come in and tell me how to do my landscape. I wanted kind of more an objective look at my yard. And now that it's aged, what can I do to update it? And and I needed Uh engineering because we're putting in a wall. So I really had to go more extreme. Well, I could probably go somewhere in the middle. What was that group that you said? It's PKJ Design Group. PKJ. Because, they were awesome. Um, oh, interesting. But, but they're at I, the, I, the higher end just because I needed two engineering plans. So just know it just really depends on what you need. Yeah. Well, I just redid my deck this past summer. And um, anyway, I've got some shade, some sun, but I just need something that's cohesive so that's why i was wondering i i need something more than just somebody to walk through and sketch but probably not as much as as intense as yours was maria it sounds like they could help you um there are probably another 10 or 15 people out there that could do a great job it's just that in my professional and personal life i knew sandy and i'm very very cautious about who i will recommend to someone that's a friend and I also work with. So that's uh-huh. why Sandy did it. So Yeah, thank you for your call, Wendy. And they were great, by the way. PKJ Design did a great job. Sandy was uh, very attuned to all of my concerns. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. We'll be back with more of your calls and questions. A gun in the face. 
Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.